We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, Stories of Soccer Legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more each. Episodes will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends wherever you get your podcasts. Now hit the music. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... This man loves to work. He loves to get on the field and run routes and, and talk to the guys and explain how he's running routes and explain what works for him to these young cats and I mean it was very very awesome to see just the amount of detail that he puts into his craft how communicative he was how willing he was to learn you know and he wasn't there for himself he was there for the betterment of the team and wanted to hang out with the guys and wanted to learn and, and get to know the guys and I thought that was pretty special. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and in studio with us this evening, WGR 550's Nate Geary. Woo! Way to start a show, Chris. Way to start a show. That was Mr. Josh Allen. Now, where did that interview take place? That was his final Zoom interview over at buffalobills.com before they broke for summer. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a radio professional in studio with us. Of the highest caliber, mm. Mr. Nate Geary. Nate, you have the, uh, what, you have a golf tournament tomorrow? I do. What is it, the WGR? It is the Bills Media uh, Consolation Tournament because our actual tournament got canceled, so Josh Reed and Channel 4 uh, did the prudent thing, to, you know, collected all the people that got invited to the tournament. So typically what we do with the Bills every year is a media with coach or um, coach or front office guy, right? So last year I was co- I was paired up with Jimmy Salguero, 
He's okay. the uh, nickel and defensive backs coach. Yeah. Uh, we came in second place behind, you know, Brandon Bean and and, uh, and, and Skursky, Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News. Very good golfer. Um, Does but, anybody – did you guys all just get together and say, hey, we got to let Brandon Bean win? Uh, no, <laughs> no, but I do think that it might have been fixed because <laughs> I just want to say that me and, and Jimmy really put together a big round. Um, I'm, I'm actually pretty upset. I'm, I'm – I've got a vengeance to take out on some of these guys, and here's the thing. So what, what Josh did was a smart thing is he combined uh, a bunch of groups of three, um, and we, we play individual, so we, we play like a normal round of golf with a foursome of guys that aren't necessarily on our teams, but we take our score and combine it with our three teammates, and the, the lowest aggregate score, three-person t- three score, wins our little tournament thing, okay. right? Um, so I have Marcel-Louis Jacques and Thad Brown um, from... How's Marcel as a golfer? So I've played with Marcel a few times. Marcel, like, I don't know. He just has this, like, natural ability that is just harnessed inside of him. He, he, like, golfed in high school. So, But he hasn't golfed in a long time. Like, and now he's got all this time, so now he's oh, golfing. Oh, so, he's, so he essentially he's the guy who's a ringer. Yes. And then he took some time off. He's the guy that doesn't so use don't, his driver. So you don't see him but coming? But drives me with his hybrid, with his, you know, and he hits his, like, sand wedge. 140 yards, like stupid stuff that you just like. Of course, Marcel Louis Jacques is just coming in and 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 just. The thing he's I find a hol- ringer if I've ever seen ringer. I find it hilarious that as we're talking about this, most of the people listening to this podcast will probably be at work while he's out there hitting the links and he's over here bragging yeah. about. Oh, I got to play with. Uh, I want to. I want to have to have a Brandon Bean in golf. That was last year, and by the way. I, when it came down to it, uh, he he congratulated me. He uh, he said, you know, you know, great job, but uh, they beat us by one stroke. And when this airs tomorrow morning, WGR, you are filling in for Jeremy White, and you'll be hosting our friend Bruce Nolan. That's right. All of that is true. What, uh, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time? You guys can check it out. 8.05 is when Bruce will be joining the program. Yeah, uh, I'm filling in for Jeremy tomorrow and on Friday. um, So I'm looking forward to it. You know, I love love hanging out with Howard. (sighs) Bill's Talk. Bill's talk, little sports bit of talk. I, little I, bit of WGR 550 literally becomes more palatable when you're a part I of it. Appreciate that. And I'm glad that you're joining us here tonight because we have something to celebrate. I want you to fill your hand. I want you to. I want you to fill that glass there in front of you. Even though you want you to just, fill it? I want you to fill that glass. Here's why. Next week, Chris. What is it? Next week, Tuesday. I think so. We have an anniversary of sorts. So fill your glass because we have to toast uh. to the time that Nate showed his whole ass. Not just to us and our listeners, but also to people who listen to his post-game radio show after the Buffalo Bills games by making this bold claim about the 2017 Browns. It is July 15th. 14th, Jesus. It's the 15th. 14th. It's the 14th of 2017. (laughs) And the Cleveland Browns roster is better than the... By the way, I'm Nate Gary. Let me get a double down. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills, and they will have more wins than the Bills in 2017. <laughs> that was you three years ago. I, I really have some. You know, the Browns might owe me something. Like, like I, I should I should reach out to uh, I should reach out to the Haslam family. Listen, hang on. I already cracked mine. In, in fairness. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, yeah. sir. We're gonna drink to this. Do you have more? Do you have more? Uh, you have more Browns takes for me because they're there. Oh they're out my there. God! You, you What's thought, my problem? Well, you you thought Deshaun Kaiser was going to be the best quarterback to come out of his draft. You have something for the Browns, sir. I mean, well, that was that wasn't Browns related. That was just because he was a Notre Dame quarterback, and you know me, I'm a big Notre Dame fan. So I think I stand. 
I think Will Ferrell said it best. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. I mean, seriously, how are you this bad? The team that you, you banked on it, and then you played it on the radio. Yeah, you, you text me for the that audio. Take. Chris gave you the audio and you played it on the and I heard a guy throw it in your face a few weeks later yeah. when he was losing an argument to you and I could hear the frustration in your voice. You could hear the deflation. I saw your ego just get kicked. Listen. Like a chihuahua. Oh my god. Find me one one person that does this stuff for a living that's right every time. Other than me. No, no, but here's the thing. That yeah. team that you said was going to make yeah. th- that they were better than us went on to be so atrocious they landed the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Bills went to the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts now looking back? Would you would you do it differently? Would you do it? Yeah, differently? I would never have put any confidence <laughs> in the Cleveland Browns. Like I feel like a Cleveland Brown fan. Like this is this is. Seriously, though, I, I would like to have a conversation with somebody at the Browns organization, Browns PR. If you're listening, um, like compensation, I've been, I've been hurt. Uh, I, I, I demand satisfaction. By hurt, folks, he means he's probably, Chris, we've made him drink how many of the Seagrams he owes? I mean, he's got to be six or seven deep now. I've got, got a few even, more. Even the last time that you were on, like, I have like four bets on that board <laughs> out there. Uh, Bryce Hall, CB1 or 2, Jake Fromm over... Matt Barkley, if that happens, loves, you'll drink a Seagram's. This guy loves making from throwing bets. an NFL touchdown pass. He loves who? Who's throwing an NFL touchdown pass? You said you will drink a Seagram's if uh, Jake Fromm throws an NFL. I'll, touchdown I'll drink two Seagram's if if Jake Fromm throws an NFL. I touchdown it might be pass. on there. I'm regular like, season, yeah, not regular season. Yeah, not pre preseason is a joke. We do. I do not count the preseason. But so with this in mind, the okay. fact that you've endured so much punishment. Three years later, you obviously regret making the call. It's been one of the best. I don't, remet, I don't regret making the call. I regret whom I made the call about. I would make the call again, just on a different team. <laughs> Literally any other team. Any other one. Now, here's what I think is funny about this. We sit here almost three years to the day after you made this proclamation. And Where you, you could it? maybe actually debate that topic now. You could actually float the concept of the quality of roster between the Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills. To a certain degree, if you wanted to bring that to the table, I'd sit down for an hour on a podcast or on a radio show and I'd debate you on that. But one of the only places that you can't argue it, where it or at least that you can, where if you tried to argue it, it would not come up in Buffalo's favor, in my opinion, is the wide receiver group, mm. which is the topic of tonight's podcast. This is our 2020 training camp preview series, and tonight we're talking about wide receivers. We're going to start by taking a look at the makeup of the roster and the current state of things. For cap allocation, we're looking at $35.47 million. Our total percentage of the cap is 16.6 spent on wide receivers, which is fifth highest in the NFL. Keep that in mind as this show progresses, guys. This is an important one. Fifth highest salary allocation to wide receivers in the NFL. We currently have what you would call three starters. Yeah. Three Three starters and two super promising rookies. Okay. Now, Chris, in 2011, 
The Buffalo Bills went 6-10 behind an offense that had Stevie Johnson, Donald Jones, David Nelson, and poor man's wildcat quarterback Brad Smith. Love. Was that 2011? Yeah. Jesus, that we was a long time We did beat Brady, ago. though, at home. A decade ago. Over a what full, is happening? Over a decade later. When you look at our current roster by comparison, doesn't that just feel like a bad dream? That's not even like the worst. Just look at... Look at two years ago's roster. Andre <laughs> Holmes was this team's number two wide receiver next to one biscuit short of, what was it? One biscuit short of a oh, yeah. Chick-fil-A bowl or, oh, dude, or he a was, Popeye's bowl? Dude, he put on, how, how are you going to have a 300-pound wide receiver? That's what, we, that's what Kelvin Benjamin was threatening I, to I become. I remember that group Well, he also so doubles bad. as a blocking tight end. That group was so bad <laughs> that, so when, that when Isaiah McKenzie came onto the roster, he was like, we were like, whoa! Yeah, somebody can run. Do you remember that, Chris? The the oh my god, Isaiah McKenzie game where we're like, holy shit, this guy, this guy, this yeah. guy can run, he can catch, <laughs> and he he has not one you know one biscuit away from a heart from a stroke. Let's be honest. So running it down from the top, we've got Stefan Diggs. Bean's boldest move is Bill's GM by far. In no my way. Book. His way bolder was trying to and potentially successfully trading for Antonio Brown. So clearly, my man's was looking for a wide receiver one, and I'm just happy that you know I look at the situation right now. You know, at the top, like they recognize they need. You said fifth; they had the most, the fifth highest salaries amongst. Yep. Good. It's about fucking time somebody was like, "Let's pay some receivers. Let's get some receivers in here." <laughs> like, yeah, I'm loving it. It's like instead of playing Tetris, you know, while the rest of the league is playing, you know. 3D chess, you know, we're actually doing something that that good teams do, which is invest in really good receivers and have three legitimate veteran-style receivers who surround a young quarterback. Like, they didn't go the Drew Locke route. No. with young guys, right? No, like, because, listen, the learning curve, yeah. was, and, and Bean spoke about that in his preseason, uh, or his uh, pre-draft, his, Zoom, his, Zoom big, his big hour-and-a-half-long Zoom press conference. He went on record to say that the reason that he felt that trade was so necessary was because of the learning curve in the NFL is already hard. It's already hard at the wide receiver position. And this is the year where they kind of have to see what their quarterback has and what he's going to be. So you can't get a real sense of what your quarterback is capable of unless you know to a man that you've given him every tool yeah. that he can possibly. So they needed a dynamic receiver, and they doubted that they were going to be able to go up and get the best one in the draft. And we were all super pissed because DeAndre Hopkins, like five hours later, gets traded for <laughs> literally a sack of bricks. Yeah, and, and a and well, listen, a, that's and Houston. A, Unfortunately, I, I but, feel like, but everybody looked at that trade. They were like, uh, "We could have. I would have traded him anything." Listen, in the whole world. You, you think we're mad as fans? How do you think that other yeah, GMs I, feel? Brandon Bean probably looked at his phone, saw the headline come across the like, ticker. Oh, we had Frank Gore. We could have traded you Frank Gore. This is what I picture. He's on the toilet. He's on the toilet because I he went during his Zoom, one of his Zoom conferences. In, he in, about, uh, in Vrabel's house? He talked about pro football. Yeah, in Vrabel's <laughs> house during the draft. He talked about how pro football focus and outlets like that make for interesting bathroom reading. He made that kind of a joke, which is almost kind of a shot at them, which they deserve. A little bit. But so he's he's this is how I picture it went down. He's on his toilet. He's got his phone out. And he sees the headline come across, and he opens the door and just starts yelling, just to no one. Just, are you kidding me? This happens now? What are we talking about here? 
because that's how absurd it was. GMs everywhere were angry that they didn't think to call and ask the question. Can I have DeAndre Hopkins for nothing? Listen, it's the same It's the same reason your wife decided to marry you. Imagine you had you not asked the question. Imagine. <laughs> well played, sir. Imagine. But what you get out of Stephon Diggs is a fast, physical wide receiver, plays with an edge in almost every facet of the game. Is evidence 26, too? Evidenced, he's number one in contested catches since 2017. And he thrives in all the areas where Josh Allen struggled the most last season. The intermediate and the deep parts of the field. Then you get yourself a John Brown. He was last year's wide receiver number one. I think he's primed for a big year is now an undouble coverable wide receiver number two. Mm. He's a guy who can do a lot of things. He can run good routes. He He's a jack of all trades and... I don't want to say a master of none because he's pretty good at generating separation in those intermediate areas. Deep is where I think he has a hard time just because he's an older wide receiver. He doesn't have the the straightaway speed that he used to. I mean, Chris, Chris, the biggest touchdown he caught for the Buffalo Bills all year, that touchdown in the third quarter of the New England game, he got as open as he got because he ran a solid route and just and rope adoped rope adoped Stephon Dilmore. I'm just kidding. He really is the best corner in the league. I, that wasn't that wasn't a shot at Steph Gilmore. He's he's really good. That he's was, really good, but it wasn't because he just blew him off the line with elite speed. Or what, so what he is is he's a guy who does he runs routes really well. He's got good speed, and when he does both of those things, well, good things will happen for you. And when he has a number one receiver out playing on the other side, to your point, where they can't yes. double cover him at all ever. Yeah. I mean, he accounted for 19 of the entire team's first downs. I had J.J. Uh, Think about that. 19% of every first down that the Buffalo Bills got in 2019, John Brown. So I had um, J.J. Zacharyson um, on my show a couple weeks ago. He's um, FanDuel. He's the editor-in-chief of FanDuel. So he does a lot of daily fantasy. And we were talking, we were talking about the Bills, right? And, and this wide receiving core. And like what the addition of Stephon Diggs means for the fantasy value of a John Brown, he kind of agreed with me. I was like, I think there's a good chance his number, his ultimate target number goes down, but that his efficiency goes up, and he ends up pretty much posting the same, a similar statistics that he did this year. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't really view him as like a guy that's going to take a step back in terms of stats. And I also think that they're going to throw the ball a little bit more this year. Um, and so on top of that, I don't know how much Cole Beasley's stats are going to suffer. Um, the question is, is how much how. Does Stephon Diggs get the numbers and the targets that he's looking for? That's the real question. Well, there's going to be a lot there. Now, you mentioned Cole Beasley. He's up next on the roster. At 30, no spring chicken. Okay, he's, no, he's, he still does what he does. He's he, getting close to the end of his career, yes. but at the same time, the style of football he plays is going to allow him to continue being productive. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Edelman can still do what he does. It's because he's not on the outside Trying to go up against, right. you know, twenty-three-year-old physical, physical cornerbacks that are then going to double you with a safety over the top and just beat you up the whole way down the field seventeen weeks out of the year. Edelman gets to kind of operate in the space created for him by everyone else, and Cole Beasley's kind of that same guy. He's shifty route runner, just a reliable target. He was the only player besides Brown in twenty nineteen to have more than thirty catches. That right there speaks speaks to how bad things were and have been. In terms of wide receiver talent. Behind him is Isaiah McKenzie. He was our third wide receiver by snap percentage. He led the team in yards after the catch per reception, for whatever that's worth. 
he's a small wide receiver, though. And, he is small. And, and he's not the developmental prospect we wanted him to be, I think. I mean, I think we've seen enough of a sample size now to start to say, you know, we talked about all the shock that we had after the Isaiah McKenzie coming out party. And then you kind of take a step back and go, well, it's been a year and a half, and that game might have been the most excited I've ever been. He's had some I moments. Think. I mean, he had, he's had some moments. I think, you know, the thing that you – I was really looking for them to find his replacement in the draft. Like, I was really looking for, like, a gadgety type. Yep. They There was a lot of them in this draft. They don't they, really have a guy in the offense where you're like, we're going to manufacture eight touches a game for you. No. Whether that's taking jet sweeps, whether that's taking – End arounds, whether that's taking literal carries out of the backfield and also coming out of the backfield and catching. Like, they don't have that player, really. Stephon Diggs, like, Stephon Diggs is a legitimate number one wide receiver, a traditional number one legitimate, you have a top five player at their position wide receiver, right? But they don't have, like, a Lynn Bowden Jr., who was a kid that I really liked that the Raiders ended up drafting, that was a convert from quarterback um, from Kentucky, was a kind of guy that is going to be able to, you just get the ball in his hands. He'll throw a couple touchdowns a year, he'll catch a couple touchdowns a year, and he'll run a couple touchdowns a year. They don't really have, like, a guy that they could just unleash that's, like, well, I don't know defensive. Dis, like, not that defensive coordinators aren't going to have nightmares noticed. about Stephon Diggs, but, like, they don't have, like, a guy that they're just going to have nightmares I don't know if about. you've noticed, but John Brown throws a pretty nice spiral. He he does throw a damn nice. He was, being, he was a high school quarterback. He has two passing touchdowns in high 2019. High school quarterback. He has more passing touchdowns. More touchdowns than Eli Manning had this year. <laughs> What we'll a take that to the bank. what a petty shitty statistic. John Brown has more passing. <laughs> Robert Foster and Andre Roberts. Those are the next guys up on the ne- guys up on the totem pole. And I mean, they're special teams contributors. Which not to say they're not important, but they failed to offer much of anything on offense. The guy made the Pro Bowl as a kick returner on an alternate basis. Which I mean, I guess that means something, no, it right? He's he's been in the league for eleven years. His receiving statistics, he's not even on Isaiah McKenzie's level in he terms is, of receiving statistics. What was his name? What Who? was his name? Andre Roberts? The kid the the guy from the Cincinnati Bengals, that the receiver that came and played here for number fifteen for a couple of years, played some receiver. Tate? Yes. Brandon Brandon Tate. Tate. Brandon Tate played for the Patriots. To pull so that one he out. Is, he is basically Brandon Tate. And here's the thing. They tried to use him in the offense last year. So if you've got to try to use Andre Roberts, go get somebody else. Well, and that's what they tried. I mean, Robert Foster. You look at that. I think they were really banking in 2019 on Foster's. Oh, God knows I was. I drunkenly made a Seagram's bet that he was going to have 50 receptions. Yeah, so I mean, that's probably should... some receipts that I got that saying he was like a number one red receiver. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, we are the Pettiest Bills podcast. I encourage you to dig through these. You bring the receipts to me, I'll make good on them. Foster had a disappointing regression. I mean, I drank enough Seagrams to prove it. He, he didn't see more than two targets in a game until week 10 and finished the season with just 64 yards last year. Mm-hmm. But he did become a standout on special teams. He was one of the best gunners on our punt coverage unit. No doubt about it. So he's still out there doing something to earn his paycheck. Duke Williams, you got him back there. CFL star turned NFL player. It was a big, it was a much bigger deal for fans than it was the front office. I'll say that. The coaching staff, nonplussed with Duke Williams. They liked the way he competed in practice. They liked the way he conducted yeah, a few, himself a as a few professional. Tough drops. 
But also, I think they even recognized, which is why fans were fans who were screaming on WGR's airwaves yeah. every time they'd allow phone calls, saying, "Why aren't we seeing Duke Williams? Why isn't there more Duke?" Well, what you have is a physical wide receiver who lacks speed, and yeah. when you have that, isn't that essentially a tight end? It's a tight end that doesn't block as well so as a tight end. I would. think they, and I said this during the draft. So they they drafted Isaiah Hodgins, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point during the podcast. No, it's coming. Hodgins was drafted for direct competition with Duke Williams. Gabe Davis was drafted as direct competition to Robert Foster. Well, because I think, but I also think that you, your point about Robert Foster kind of coming on as a gunner has some credence to it. The problem is, is do they now have enough roster space to keep Robert Foster? And I have questions about that. And I also have questions about whether or not he'll get leaked through to the practice squad. I don't even know if he has practice squad eligibility. I mean, those rookies, they're what they are. And it'll be interesting to see where they, you know, what kind of an impact they're More than make. likely, though, they're going to keep both of them. Well, we're going to talk about more that. More than likely. But when you look at this group as a whole, as we covered in our pre-draft episode on wide receivers... The Bills' passing ranks have been abysmal uh, over the last decade. Chris, do us the honors of running down the rankings for us. Oh, you, that's right. You sent me a another table. Because <laughs> I am the king of You're tables. You're definitely a table guy. Yep. Uh, we went all the way back to 2010, and we have their pass passing rank uh, yards per game. Yep. This is what that is. Uh, we'll go from 2010 all the way up to, two, to 2019. My graduated high school, graduation high school year, I'm in at 2010, 2010, 2020, 2010. That 20, was our year. 24th. And then 2011, which you mentioned earlier. Another good year. 15th. And then since then, we haven't been that high. 2012 was 25th, 28th, 18th, 28th, 30th, 31st, 31st, and then last year, 26th. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. I mean, that is, that's an abomination. How are you still allowed to be an NFL franchise if you can't throw the ball with anybody? Think about this, Nate. If you go back from 2016 to 2019, just 2016 to 2018, we were third from last. But I thought Tyron was good. Second to last. And second to last in the NFL in throwing the football. And then last year, in the most successful season that the Buffalo Bills have had in decades, you still were only 26. I miss Turk Schoenert. <laughs> now listen, that's vomit worthy. But And I'll say this. I know there's people out there going, well, our quarterbacks, the quarterbacks, your quarterbacks, you guys are so stupid. Well, our quarterback play has not been stellar. Our team hasn't fielded much in the way of a complete wide receiver core for the majority of that time span. 2010, 2011, and 2012, Donald Jones, David Nelson, and Brad Smith were your three guys. Oh, what, Stevie Johnson. You had a Stevie Johnson. Stevie was throwing. good, but he was better as a number two, and he was a number one. So yes. Tough, cold world. 2014, 2015, and 2016. Chris, outside of Sammy Watkins, can you name the other Bills wide receivers not named Robert Woods. I'm trying to think who you were high on. There Am were, I allowed to play or no? Yeah. There, oh. there, there, your guys? there was Jeremy Curley. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. <laughs> wait, 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 what was the years? What was the years again? Uh, 2014, 2015, and 2016. Okay, that's too early. Um, I, who, we had somebody 
that played, Chris Hogan. Yeah, there's Hogan. There's somebody that I think you were high on during training camp one year. Salas? George Salas? Yes, Greg Salas. Greg Salas? Greg Salas? And, and I think there was Little? Was there some? Oh, yeah, 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 Greg Little. Greg. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, there's, this is how bad uh, things are, wait, 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 folks. Wait, not done yet. Uh, <laughs> how could we forget Marquise Goodwin? Oh, yeah. How, I remember watching that, that Thursday night Percy opener Harvin. against the Jets and going nuts with some neighbors in Hamburg because I watched Sammy the game outside. Napkins. Oh, yeah. Or Doug Marone playing Sammy Watkins in that fifth preseason game where yep. he gets re-injured. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the sound of Crack me opening... one for Sammy Napkins. That's the sound of me opening another beer because this conversation yeah. has officially depressed me. That ain't no beer. Yeah, that's just, a, just, just that's wait, a Utica Club. And just yeah, wait. I'm drinking Utica Club because Chris is a producer... And uh, we're also about to talk, we're about to dive into a pretty deep segment of Sammy Watkins' alien and space alien theories. So if you We could do a whole podcast on that. time, I'd like to set some alien talk aside for later about Sammy Watkins. Oh my God. But here's what it comes down to, folks. As we fumble our way through talking about that era of Bills wide receivers, it's clear that we haven't had much in the way of NFL caliber talent at the wide receiver position in a decade. So when you take a look at it, you can't blame the quarterback play. And even in 2019, the free agent process, we added two pieces in Brown and Beasley. And we'll, what we saw was a more confident Josh Allen, who got better as, the, as a passer as the season went on. Our passing offense as a whole was still somewhat subpar. And what I think is even more damning is that even with the makeup of guys that they fielded last year, we were still too easy to defend. Think about the big moments we missed out on. Final play of Baltimore in New Era Field. Mm. Final play of the game. Marcus Peters is covering John Brown because they know that's where the ball is going to go. They play cover zero. They're not even playing a safety because they know they don't have to. Because our, our elite, well, and here's the thing. They knew that their elite cover corner was going to be too much for John Brown. And that they could commit to stopping everything else the Bills were planning on throwing at him. And it worked to a T. Because who was there to swat the ball away at the last minute? Marcus Peters. Their star cornerback. John Brown, great number two, not number one. Stephon Gilmore versus John Brown in the second half of New England versus Foxborough. In the game, Brown only saw four targets. Because Gilmore just blanketed him for the majority of the night. It sounds a lot like you're trying to convince me that the Bills with Stephon Diggs last year could have had 12 or 13 wins. I, I'm just saying. He only saw three targets in the second half. One of them happened to be a huge touchdown. But it was his only catch of the game. Meanwhile, Beasley got forced to do all the heavy lifting in that game with seven catches on 12 targets. But against a top-flight secondary where there's really not a lot, uh, not, there's not a lot of room to gen generate yards after the catch against the New England D DBs, it didn't hold up, and we got we got smashed. We got smashed by Chris. If it wasn't for that one touchdown, you would walk away from that loss going, "We got slaughtered." But we didn't. But we didn't. But again, you were stagnant when you needed a big play. So this offseason, they go in and they add Stephon Diggs, and now what you have is a legitimate number two receiver. I'd, I'd argue one of the better number twos in the at least the AFC. You know now that. What yeah. teams have a better number two than John Brown right now? Mike Williams in in Los Angeles. Uh, okay. Next to Keenan Allen. I'll hear that. 
Uh, As I pour beer into my crotch. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, that noise right there is the yeah. sound of John Brown being one of the best number two wide receivers in the NFL right now. At least in the No, I do have another one, though. Uh, I like Preston Williams a lot in Miami. He's not. Preston Williams has the ability to be, but he hasn't. Is it Preston Wilson? No, you're thinking of Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson? Yeah. No. He's also on that roster. But he hasn't established that That's he right. can do it for a full season. No, I agree yet. with that. Um, hold so, on. Keep thinking. Hold on. Get, hold on. I'm going to move um, on when it strikes. You can't, Let me know. The Browns. Jarvis Landry. And this is where I was going to say, back in our Browns conversation, right. if you wanted to argue that they, they'd win the wide receiver conversation. That's it. That's the only place their roster is better than the good. Buffalo Bills. Yeah, until Njoku trades out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until he gets that trade he's fighting for. So anyways, now you look at it and you see what we're putting out there. It's the best talent that you could argue we've had in the 2000s. Our top three options have the ability to, out of that 11 personnel package that they've conditioned Allen to using, do a ton of damage to opposing defenses. Because now you have a wide receiver who can hurt them at every single level of the defense. There's not a single... There's levels to this. There's levels. Yeah, And then when you look beyond those starting three, there's an interesting mix of talents because you have some special teams contributors, some young rookies that have upside, and some interesting project players. I mean, if I have any reservation about the makeup of this group, it's that they now have a fairly hefty price tag. To live. they got to live up to it. But that's the price you pay for failing to draft and groom your own wide receiver talent. The Bills have spent 20 years trying to do it, and they've failed. So now, if you want to form a competent unit, you got to shell out the cash and the draft assets. But I've done so. But I give Bean credit for doing it. So while we're not the deepest or the cheapest unit in the entire NFL, for the first time in a long time, we have a legitimately threatening group that has to have you feeling better, right, Chris? Yeah, I, I like like what you just said about being able to attack all three levels. You know, you got Beasley underneath. You can you can get John Brown to go go deep and over the middle, and you got Diggs just to go everywhere on the goddamn field. So when I think about training camp in this offseason, I think about goals. And every year, teams head into training camp with at least some idea what to uh, what success for a given unit would look like. Nate, I'm sure you have your own opinions. With these guys going to you know these practices and as they you know as the preseason process gets underway, I mean we don't even know if we're going to see preseason games, but there's going to be something that you can look at and say, hey, this group had a good summer. Whether it's a guy who was penciled in a starter into a starting job as a young player showed improvement, or whether there's a position battle between three guys that resolves itself with somebody stepping up and. Winning the job because they're genuinely better than everyone else around them, rather than just being handed it by default. Or whether it's young talent pushing high-priced players off the roster. Can I tell you a storyline you're not talking about? Well, this is what I want to know. What is it that you're looking for out of this group? COVID. Okay. COVID makes me think that the NFL is going to essentially allow teams to keep a larger-than-normal quote-unquote practice squad. Yeah. Where if a player tests positive and they lose a couple of players that they can easily pick from essentially mm-hmm. a farm team. Yeah. So I think guys that normally, you know, we question about whether Robert Foster's around. Well, Robert Foster might be around because of technicality. And maybe that's all he needs, you know, to get back into a situation where he gets back in the good race of the coaching staff and he's the number four receiver. I, I mean, these are things that could happen, right? So, like, 
with COVID, it's these, really it's, these conversations all change. They they absolutely change, and it's like you know do do you have an Isaiah Hodgins? Like, because here's the thing. Here's how I think this ultimately plays out. I think the top three are, are given, right? Top three are a given. You got Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley. Then I think Gabe Davis is a very interesting player. I think he was overdrafted um, a little bit, at least a little bit. I, I'm interested in his competition with how is he going to play special teams? Because if he doesn't, then he's going to play a specialty role. And frankly, I like Isaiah Hodgins more. Um, than I like Gabe Davis um, because Hodgins has really good numbers in college. Um, is in he reminds me of an AJ Green type. Like he's got that long, lanky. It doesn't matter if you run a four, five, seven, I, or whatever okay. he ended up running. Like, I have to. I have to stop you. You just said the name of a sixth round wide draft pick at wide receiver in the same sentence hey, as listen, AJ Green. We're talking. You were talking about the deepest wide receiver draft, like ever, Chris. Isaiah Hodgins was Hall I of think Fame. A steal. Chris Hall of Fame. AJ Green just had his name mentioned. I don't know if we're talking a Hall of Fame with AJ Green yet, are we? AJ Green just got mentioned in the same sentence I, as Isaiah Hodgins. I, I think you just said a hot take. I don't think AJ Green. Hall no, of no, Fame. not a hot take. I'm just worried he's going to come in here and slap us all in the mouth. You, you said he's a Hall of Famer, though. You put some respect on his name. I mean, yeah. he's a damn good receiver. He is not a Hall of Famer. We need to have a what, hot take. Is Josh take Reed an all a Hall of Famer? When this is all said and done, Chris, we have a hot take podcast. Just me and Nate, you let us go. Free flow, free form. Hall of Famer? Just stream of consciousness podcast for for two hours. And you can chop that up and do whatever you want with the audio. I think what we do for our 500th episode is Nate comes back, and I just go through all of the hot takes both of you have said over the course of the history of the show. Will you sign up for that? Yes. All right. (laughs) Cheers, sir. Raise your glass. Love it. All right, so with that said, if I'm looking for anything, me personally, and I want to pick your brain about this, the first thing I'm looking for to come out of the Buffalo Bills this summer is some proof of this Allen and Diggs chemistry. I just posted a poll, by the way. Did you? I want to know if people really think that AJ Green's a future Hall of Fame. By the end of the podcast, I want an answer. Uh, I mean, it's a 24-hour, but I'll give you like the yeah. results. You'll give me the results. I'll jump hour. on and retweet it. Chris, here's a question. Do you remember feeling like crap halfway through the third quarter of week one last year? Every game ever. Well, the Jets somehow, despite being terrible in their own right, were beating us. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. My father-in-law is standing next to me at uh, 34 Rush. We had just gotten done interviewing. We were doing interviews with Thurman Thomas during the the pregame and the halftime, which he agreed with me that we needed to run the ball, and I took my headset off and walked off like I would hit a home run. Because when a Hall of Fame running back agrees with you after everyone else tells you you're wrong, you don't even need to speak again. No, that's that's right. it. You walk off like you just hit a home. You're, you uh, Batista'd yeah. your way out of the room. So here we are, and my father-in-law just keeps trying to tell me, hey, Drew, don't worry. It's not the fourth quarter yet. It's not the fourth quarter yet. The Bills don't need to score yet because the Jets are terrible. Just remember that. And when it mattered, it was Josh Allen and John Brown hooking up on a series of plays. Not just the big touchdown catch, but a series of plays to put the game away for the Bills. Which kind of showed a chemistry. Right out of the, you know, they finally found that chemistry that they'd worked on all summer. And it led to him being the most targeted player in three of the first five games. And he was the yardage leader by a massive margin. No one was close to his 280 yards receiving through those first five games. You saw what our yards per game. You heard the ranks. We were terrible. And yet John Brown was thriving as a wide receiver on our team because he was the thing Josh Allen like 
he found a new toy. He loved him some John Brown. What if I were to tell you that there's a trend to that? Back in 2018, Allen went down for a few games with his elbow injury. I remember. I remember. He, he comes back the week after Robert Foster had his coming out party against the New York Jets. Do you remember that, Chris? Yeah, with Matt Barkley. You bet me that the Bills wouldn't score a touchdown in that game. Yeah, and I had a nice... It was the fastest nice, you've ever yeah, lost. I had a, a nice Seagram's after the first drive of the game. So he watches this happen, and you can tell just from looking at the stat sheet that it must have clicked in Allen's head. Holy shit, that guy can play football. A little bit. Because after that, he spent the second half of the season making him an integral part of the passing attack. He was first or second in targets every single week from week 12 to week 17. And he had three 100-yard games over that stretch. Now, think about how bad the 2018 Buffalo Bills were, Chris. Yeah, we were not good. We Josh also had Allen, a lot of dead dead money. That's Josh what Allen hurt us. made a point of being like, hey, that guy, that guy right there, I saw him be good at football, I'm going to give him the ball. And then he couldn't resist playing with this shiny new toy. And then when they gave him Beasley and Brown, they immediately became his favorite targets. And you saw the offense start to show some life because as he built chemistry with them, he just kept feeding those two guys because he all of a sudden said, well, they're the most talented guys I've ever played with. Give them the ball, every opportunity they get. And they gave him those opportunities. And I think it, it, and the result is a testament to how hard Allen works with those new guys to get on the same page. So now in our intro, you hear Allen talk up the way Diggs approaches their offseason workouts together. It sounds an awful lot like this trend could continue of Josh Allen having the the most talented wide receiver he's ever played with. What are your thoughts on that topic? Just in terms of the chemistry between the two of them and the fact that Josh already sounds like he's in love with this guy. Yeah, it's easy to be in love with Stephon Diggs. But if if you here's the thing, if you're not Kirk Cousins, now here's what I'll say. People people kept saying here's the thing. If you're Kirk Cousins, yeah. you just signed an eighty four million dollar fully guaranteed contract. You know you're not going anywhere. It's your team. You can play the game you want. Yeah, as, Kirk Co- contract this year. as Kirk Cousins, you've not ever really been the quarterback to sling it. You've been more of the short to intermediate game guy. You throw with some accuracy. He spins it. Hey, so, listen, he made $84 million. I'm not going to knock him. He can throw the ball. But the things that led to the dis- just dysfunction from a Stephon Diggs standpoint is that he wasn't Case Keenum in the sense that he wasn't willing to uncork it deep and just let Diggs go do his job. And I think in that way, that started the friction. And that's eventually what led to the divorce between them. They just chose the quarterback over the wide receiver because one of them's very much more replaceable than so, the other. So can I tell you all of the reasons that you're wrong? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, go right Every ahead. Every single one, can I okay. tell you? So... I think it's far more the scheme than it is the quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins is arguably the most underrated deep ball accuracy thrower in football. I don't think Stephon Diggs will fully appreciate what he had in Kirk Cousins in terms of him being able to fit the ball 20-plus yards down the field in windows that a lot of quarterbacks don't do. Kirk Cousins is grossly underrated because every every opportunity we've seen Kirk Cousins in a primetime situation, which is more than a lot of quarterbacks, his team, along with him, have not necessarily you know 
met the met the expectation, and, and a lot of times they either lose or lose badly when they're the favored team, and Kirk Cousins only has one playoff win under his belt. So I get the criticism of Kirk Cousins, but as a passer, he's one of the most gifted, deep ball, accurate throwers in football that doesn't get enough credit for that. And Gary Kubiak's scheme is very run and zone run and play action heavy. That means that it's difficult for players like a Stephon Diggs who want two or three deep shots a game in a system that uses the deep ball once or twice. In the previous system, you were looking at Thielen and Diggs as two 1,000-yard receivers. Yeah. This season, they were on pace for both to be under that number. So you got to remember that the Kubiak scheme and the Stefanski scheme, which ironically enough, going to Cleveland, everyone's talking about how great it's going to be. And I'm saying, well, we saw what happened when you needed two miles to feed in Minnesota. You got promoted to a head coaching position for sure. But you basically broke up one of the best receiving duos in the league because you your offense refuses to utilize an offense that's going to target two number one receivers when you also have Kyle Rudolph and you also have Delvin Cook. So you got to remember that I think the breakup and, and subsequent frustration that Stephon Diggs had with Kirk Cousins was based more around the scheme not allowing him to shine and not allowing him to get the type of target numbers he thinks he's worth as a number one receiver. He's going to come to Buffalo in an offense that is, for the most part, an open book with the capabilities to expand on what they're doing as a passing unit because it is with a young quarterback. It is with a coordinator who has, through two years, really three years, instilled an understanding of this offense from the very base-level stuff that now they don't have to practice anymore. Like, you know, Baker Mayfield is practicing the fundamentals of Kevin Stefanski's offense. Josh Allen is learning the third phase of, of Brian Dable's playbook. And I don't think you can really... I don't think you can equate that to a data point or a number or an opinion about a quarterback, but I do find it interesting that that Diggs is coming in at such an interesting point in the career of Josh Allen because so much is on the line. Um, this is a passing offense that has been underwhelming for two and a half decades. And I think more importantly, they have the capability, they have the players, they have the scheme, and they I think they're now at the point that they have the confidence that they can execute a high-level passing offense and not feel like they are a team that's wasting downs throwing the football. That was the biggest criticism that I had of fans in the preseason when this team decided, hey, I'm going to have Josh Allen open a preseason game throwing 15 times in a row. And people say, whoa, we're passing too much. What's going on? I'm like, <laughs> shut your ever-living mouth and let this play out because this is what Brian Dable needs to prepare Josh Allen to do to win football games. There needs to be games where Josh Allen throws 15 times to start a game and you can have confidence that that is a winning formula because in this league, you can't be a, a balanced offense every week. The reason that teams are balanced isn't because they run 50-50 every week. It's because one week, they pass the ball 70% of the time and the next week, they run the ball 65% of the time. Your, That's balance. To the point you just made, there's going to be games where, I don't know, maybe you give up 24 points in the first 18 minutes of a football game. And then you as an offense have to go out there and say, okay, guess what, we're going to go pass heavy here for the rest of the game, but it doesn't matter because we're going to put right. the boots to these guys. Oh, I, Chris, can you remember a time when a football team did that recently? 
Oh, that's right. It was the Houston Texans <laughs> just getting yeah. their heads but hey, kicked we in. We do play Kansas City this year. We do. So here's my oh. thing, though. So, but I, first and foremost, I just want you to rebuttal and say, Nate, you're probably right about Kirk Cousins. Nate, I'm going to make sure that your next new intro, now that we have to rework these things, is going to include a comment from Chris about you being a Kirk Cousins apologist. I wouldn't call myself an apologist <laughs> ah! so much as a. But no, those are valid points. Those are valid points, and I'm no. willing to hear them. So I'm willing to hear it. Listen, though, here, here's my thing. So to to encapsulate sort of what that conversation was about, right? It was about Stefan. But Diggs. we're talking about Diggs, and we're talking about what you heard from Josh Allen in the intro to the show, right? Allen sounds enamored with this wide receiver. All he can do is just talk about every time you put him in front of a camera. He talks about, especially in that clip where he's talking about how he thinks it's awesome that. Diggs came to work there, and his attitude and everything he likes about the way he does the game. I'm sure he likes throwing to a guy. How many reps do you think it took from him throwing to Diggs and watching Diggs run routes before he realized that, oh, shit. Just a different animal. Oh, shit. He's not John. Oh, that's not John Brown or Cole Beasley. That's, that's... But that also indicates to me, though, that like that that's something that you want to worry about at least early on because I think that he's the type of game – that comes with a lot of trust. And you yes. only get the kind of trust that you can have that Kirk Cousins, frankly, had in Stephon Diggs. And listen, when Kirk Cousins is getting 18 opportunities a game to throw the football, you're not going to take a ton of chances because if you take a lot of chances and put yourself behind the sticks and 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 prove to the coach that we just need to keep turning around and hand it off to my bell cow all-pro running back, well, that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing also that you got to remember about that offense is – there were games where Kirk Cousins was going 7-19 for 87 yards and a touchdown and two interceptions. And you're like, wow, what a terrible, shitty you know, box score that is. And I'm like, seven completions for 80 yards. That's kind of like really good. I would really much – I would take that in any quarterback ever. <laughs> what are we talking about? We're talking about inefficiencies in the offense, not the quarterback. And I yes. think that's the one, the one area that I think – the relationship between Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs got so contentious was a lot of it was because, like, if you're Kirk Cousins, it's like, what do you want me to do, dude? Like, well, what do you want me to do? And like, so in that way, though, that is restricting our ability and to I guess, create past the sticks. Okay. And so everything that you've just gone on about is kind of underscored by my thought that Josh Allen falls in love with these shiny new things. It'd be hard not to. So, especially if you're a kid, think about his career trajectory. Josh Allen at Wyoming had no one. He had no help. So he's going out there and playing cowboy football. He's trying, I mean, they had to break him of that. And last season, I think they did a decent job. They showed progress in terms of getting him to stop freelancing on his own. Saying, look, you got to rely on your teammates to do some of the work here. Because if you don't, you're going to die on an island. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen to you as a quarterback. It's almost like the Willie Beeman in... Uh, Steven Willie Beeman, yeah. When, when he decided that he could just do everything on his own and the team quit on him. Josh Allen learned last year how to rely on his player, the players around him, but it's also because he's playing with the most talent... I mean, He's ever played with. That 2018 year? Bad. Keith Ford was a starting running back for a game for us. <laughs> yeah. Who? That's right. Who? A lot of people just went, who? Do I even remember that name? Jeremy Kroom had like... Jason, yeah. I literally call him by the wrong name, and it's not Jason because Kroon. he's never here. Because he doesn't matter. We can Sorry, all call Jason. him. I've we... literally called him Jeremy Kroom. Well, he's ca- he's kind of here. He's Jeremy Kroom, Justin Kroom. He's kind of here. He's just hanging out at the Pagulas. 
So, hey, <laughs> so with that in mind, this chemistry between the two of them and the fact that Alan is already showing like the deer, he's got those doe eyes for Stefan Diggs already. I think that I need to see coming out of training camp an actual live practice. 244 votes in AJ Green, not a Hall of Famer, 65 to 35%. Wow. I'm the getting, people are speaking, I am and they're getting speaking stuck. loudly. They are stopping but the But someone did mention they think that the that I might have skewed it by saying, I said yes, or I said yup, or no way, idiot. And he thinks that maybe I skewed the results because people want to just call me an idiot, so they're just going to say no. Yeah, that's fair. So so maybe I mean, this is, the, maybe this, this, you're this has a... You're one of those people on social media, Nate, who's fun. You're fun to try to get. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not one of them. I just, I watch people do it, and I, I feel like that's, I could see you being an easy target. But with that said, I think Chris, my girlfriend says, I think it's, I think it's fair when you hear Josh Allen in the opener and you just see the, the, the product of the workouts. Now that he knows what an athlete he is, I'm wanting to see the chemistry develop between the two of them over the course of these live practices. Now that they can finally get on the field with pads on. And I mean, no one's going to know what that camp process looks like. But I'll say this. If this guy becomes his go-to the way every other ta- every other time he's come across the most talented guy he's ever played with at wide receiver, he's made them a, a workhorse. When he gets there with Stephon Diggs, if they, if they have the same chemistry that he somehow found out of the gate with John Brown, this team will not be... Listen, if the in defense, the lower half of the league for passing ranks for an eleventh year in a row, if the defense takes a step back, let's say they go from being a top three, top four overall unit to the ninth best unit in, in, in football, a a playoff caliber defense, right? Like, what if that's the case? How could you supplement taking a step back, which you should always just assume should happen that your defense is going to take a step back? You should literally create a roster that plans for those things because defense is too random and there's too much variables in defense from year in and year out, right? Schedule has a big part yep. of that, right? Yeah, we Offense got a tougher schedule. We have a, we have a, we Four quarterbacks last year. Not yes. very many good quarterbacks. They played Brandon I, goddamn Allen last well, year. I said this. Last year we played, to your point, Brandon Allen, we played three games against quarterbacks who were in the league for the like playing And Mariota, who got time. benched a couple of games after. Playing for their first time. And we won all of those games. We dominated those and bad field goal kickers. So to to that we played point, Eli before he got benched. There's, like, there's some, just a lot of things in that schedule last year. But this is it. That maybe this is gave where, the defense more, you and, know, and, than maybe they deserve. And this is where you're gonna find out. This is where you're gonna find yeah. out. But to your point, you're gonna have to have some more firepower. We haven't even talked about Dawson Knox. You have to have more firepower. We haven't talked about Devin Singletary's infusion to the passing. You can't drive a jet ski on the field. That's debatable. <laughs> well, we're gonna see. We're gonna test that theory. But here's the here's the other thing. I, and, and this is quick, right? Somebody mentioned like Devin Singletary last year was amongst one of the worst in in the league in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield. That is bound to change. I think Devin Singletary becomes a significant weapon in the passing game, even maybe more so. I think he could see like a 50-50 touch to run and catch because I think Zach Moss is gonna get the ball. I think they're gonna they're gonna feed Zach Moss the ball. And Devin Singletary is going to be a very similar role that he had last year, except as if he could become a more a better passing threat. Think about this offense if you really can't double anybody. Well, and that's what they're building here, and that's why I need to see Diggs come out here and not just be for show. 
I need to see that Diggs can come out here, connect with Allen the way Brown did last year, because then you have teeth. There are there are five teams with tight ends who can outrun safeties. The Bills are one of them. Yes. So in that way, this team all of a sudden that's, has teeth. If if Stephon Diggs something. comes out and they have the connection between a, what it looks like when a quarterback has a true number one receiver, yeah. it's going to be the biggest shift for our offense because now, to your point, no one can be doubled. You can't game plan for us. It's going to make the passing game as a whole that much harder to defend. I think it's a must coming out of training camp this year. Now, shifting gears. I have another thing that I need, personally. I need to see it. Somebody has got to emerge as a legitimate wide receiver number four. And here's why. When you take a look at the 2019 Bills, the Bills, like most of the NFL, ran a ton of 11 personnel. For the layman out there, that's three wide receiver sets with a tight end. 78% of their passes on downs one through three were out of 11 personnel with three wide receivers on the field. It played to the strengths at that point of our offense, of our quarterback. You know, it kind of spread things out a little bit for him. It played to the strengths of what I think they thought our offensive line could do. You're taking the ability, like now you can't, it's harder for you to dial up blitzes when you have another player split out wide. doesn't matter who it is. Right. So all of these things went into that. But when I look and I research some data, I'm dubious about the depth chart on the roster last year. We threw with two wide receivers on the field just 9% of the time. And we only completed 50% of those passes. We only put four wide receivers on the field at the same time four times. And 10 personnel. Chris, I know there's a ton of people like you out there who just, their eyes glazed over when I say 10 personnel. What that means is you have four wide receivers on the football field with a running back in the backfield. We only ran it, to, what, I think twice on passing downs? And we, we missed both of them. We only went five wide receivers one time all season. Now think about that. Our wide receiver depth chart was so shallow last year that after Brown, McKenzie, and Beasley, they would trust tight ends to take reps out wide rather than trot true wide receivers out there. Because to your point, Nate, who the hell is Andre Roberts? And why is he trying to be... Why are they, He's a good golfer. So then why were they trying to incorporate him into the offense? Because they didn't... Here's the thing. like, right, they, they need a receiver that can return kicks for them. That's why I think Isaiah McKenzie has a fighting chance if he can be a more responsible kick returner. That's why I think... like, I wonder... If they say we're good with Taiwan Jones making this roster because we know what a, what a special teams asset he is, and that he can return your kicks, that leaves that leaves you to to be able to dress six receivers that all can play on offense, and the one that you don't have to just dress. It's like honestly, Andre Roberts, and this is this is no offense to Andre because I think he's made a nice career niche for himself. I think he's a hell of a golfer, uh, but I don't. It, it's like wasting a roster spot on a kickoff specialist to me. Having a guy that plays in one, you know, in up to five times a game in moments that four of the five are not being eligible to be run out mm-hmm. seems like a waste of a roster position for me when you can talk about, okay, well, you have two young receivers that do very different things in Gabe Davis and Isaiah Hodgins. You I really love these guys. I love both of them. Oh, I, I, think, and I can't I think, wait to get to this. And I think most importantly, what I, what I appreciate is Brandon Bean saying, 
you know what? This is this is the best receiver draft we've seen in two, three decades. And more importantly, we are going to pick guys that we've done our homework on. We're not going to pick the run-of-the-mill guys that everyone's been talking about. We're going to pick guys that we've done our homework on. We've watched every game. We've been to, to every game. To up. your point, to your point, they were they showed in the Bills. The Seniors, first episode by the way, of, older guys. The first episode of Bills Embedded, they showed the footage of being in the box at the Combine watching Gabe Davis run, and they were like, please run a little slow. Right. Hopefully he runs Bounce a little slow. Bounce down a little. Because it'll it'll knock him down. We know. They Which almost sounds him. cruel that they're betting against a player that's going to be on their team. They just they wanted to make sure that they could get him at the time they wanted to get him because they had things to address early in that draft. So here's what I'll say: You add Diggs. Now our eleven personnel package becomes more dynamic because you can run more. You can come up with more dynamic route combinations. You can threaten defenses in different ways that you couldn't do last year because McKenzie, in my opinion, wasn't. He's trash. <laughs> he wasn't used or targeted like a real wide receiver, or at least not in an Earhart Perkins offense. Or, but so they don't have another player like him. That's, I, that's I what understand. I think. That's, but so listen to me. The fact remains that having a more dynamic fourth option, I think it's an integral part of the depth chart. You have to have a fourth wide receiver who can come in and make a difference. It not only improves your depth, because even though our guys have been durable, Beasley, Brown... Diggs, none of them have ever been hurt. Ever. You look at it, they've never missed significant time. But it also allows us to spread out defenses and attack them the way that they, I think that they'd like to with Josh Allen being the dual-threat quarterback that he is. So for people out there who might be wondering, why does Drew care so much about going four wide? It's not that frequently used anymore. It really isn't. Last no. year, the Arizona Cardinals were the only team Love to it. do it more than 10% Air raid, of the time. Baby. Air raid offense. Uh-huh. They did it 39% of awesome. their passing plays. It's fucking awesome. Were four wide receiver passing sets. Big house, big set. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury. It literally accounted for 3% of all NFL passes. But when you look at the statistics behind it, they're damn effective if you can do them properly. Now, I go to Sharp Football. Great running sets. I go to sharpfootballstats.com. It's a website that allows you to look at offensive and defensive personnel groupings used by every team, and you can literally filter them. It includes the statistics and the percentages, and you can filter it by half, by quarter, by down and distance. You can literally use that as a, it's what I use as an integral part of my analysis at the end of the year. Here's what I found for the NFL as a whole when it comes to running with four wide receivers. Teams passing on a four wide receiver sets had a 26 touchdown to 12 interception ratio. Mm. Okay? Decent. The league average for passer rating when throwing out of a four wide receiver set was 91.7. Yards per attempt achieved was 7.1. You could, with a trio of wide receivers as good as, I mean, we've talked them up this whole podcast. If you but, can come away with a legitimate fourth option, you now have a more dynamic offense and a new formation that you can trot out there to threaten a defense with because now you have a running back. You just talked about Singletary being yes. engaged more in the passing game. Now you have four wide receivers and a linebacker. As a defense, you're probably going to go with a nickel and bring a safety down in the box, or you're going to go dime and try to defend it with, or you're going to try to put a linebacker kind of in the middle of the defense and put four cornerbacks out there. Either one of those leaves you susceptible to Josh Allen 
seeing open field open up in front of him with blockers and just taking off on you. That That's true. I feel like the emergence of a fourth wide receiver would not only be huge for this offense now in 2020, but also the obvious. We just got done talking about how expensive and old yeah. our wide receiver core is. And if you want to pay Stephon Diggs and continue paying him, he's 26 years old. He's a young guy. He's got His best years are arguably yeah. in front of him. But then you've got right. a John Brown who's almost 30. So that's why if, if... You've got a Cole Beasley who is 30. They're both making north of $9 million a season. And is that why we drafted Gabe Davis and Hodgins? To groom them so when they're and ready, you can in, make the argument. when they're ready and in so two years and those Hodgins. contracts are up, and so I love Hodgins it. out of the slot. So and I think him learning from Beasley is exactly what you want. And so this is it. With if someone, I just need someone to step up and take this fourth wide receiver job, so that we can not only trot out a really threatening group of receivers on a week to week basis. It gives us personnel flexibility. It gives us depth and insur- insurance against injury. So, but here's also, the thing. it's good for the development of these rookies. And that brings me to key position battles. And now is when I'm going to get into your head, Nate Geary. I want, because I, I know you're waiting to unload on me about something. Yeah, that's true. You could tell. Whose jobs? We want to talk about key battles. Our, our starting three are already set. The guys who are going to see the heavy percentages of snaps for the Bills on a week to week basis, we already know their names. Whose jobs are most vulnerable to the 2020 draft rookies? Davis and Hodgins. So I think I think seven receivers end up being close to the roster, on the roster. Mm-hmm. However, the accommodations are going to be for COVID. I think seven guys will be in the fold for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those seven guys outside of the top three, the four guys that remain to me, are Hodgins, Davis, Foster, and McKenzie. Um, and I think McKenzie makes the team even if there's only six because I think McKenzie offers the one thing that the team doesn't have right now is – a guy that can beat defenses laterally, and that is part of part of the Air Perkins system is allowing the passing offense to function within the middle of the field. Okay. And to do that, you do need to stretch and, and, s- and create opportunities for your players vertically or east and west, right? I will say this to your point. When you look at the 2020 stats for Isaiah McKenzie, he only had 254 yards and a touchdown. Nothing that you would ever write home about. Yeah. But... Chris, remember how I said he wasn't really a wide receiver for the Bills in 2019? Yeah. When we started the show and we were running it down? As a wide receiver, his yards before the catch per reception were 1.8. Which means that he legitimately only caught the ball less than 20 feet from the line of scrimmage on all of his receptions. Yep. So what that shows me is, on one hand... He can't be relied on to threaten a seam no. or to go up the boundary against a more physical outside cornerback. But it doesn't mean that there's not a place for him right. on the Bills' offense. And I think, do you want to know where I think it is? Is that, to me, is that percentage of you know how many balls that he's catching that go past the line of scrimmage, I think is an important statistic and understanding what the role of him is and why they don't really currently have another guy that's threatening that particular role is because in an offense that relies upon misdirection and pre-snap motion, which is what Brian Dable wants to be really fully integrated into, it's having a receiver or a player like Isaiah McKenzie that moves and the defense now is forced to shift based on they may be they may pull a play action out on this play, but this guy gets the ball at the line of scrimmage all the time. We have to respect the fact that they do that. And on those 
misdirection, play action. You want to get the motion of having your your quarterback put it in the belly of a receiver and and have that almost like option, like spread option type, um, you know, air raid type play action moves. Well, then that's what you're talking about. You you need guys that can move that direction, that can move east and west and beat teams when they get the ball in their hand five yards behind the line of scrimmage and beat the defense to the corner. That is a really important position in the NFL today, and it's what's been killing college football for a decade. And it's the guys that can beat really good athletic defenders to the corner because when you can beat the outside linebacker in the defensive end to a spot, which is all those plays are doing, is it's you are we have a faster player that can beat you to a spot, and once they get around you at that spot, it's off to the race. It doesn't matter how you could be C.J. Mosley, you could be it's Ray the Lewis, easiest playbook you could be Ed Reed in his prime. You don't even if care I get what there first, it doesn't matter. You don't even care what your offensive line do. You don't have to have good offensive line to run jet sweeps. What you're saying is, is you, I know that you know what the play is. I got a guy that's <laughs> faster than all of your people. So until you stop it, I'm going to run it in different directions, and then I'm going to run phases off of that. I'm going to run the play action. So. The thing is, is Robert Foster, for everything he is straight line speed, I don't believe he has the the quickness and the stop-start ability that, that Isaiah McKenzie's game, because he's small and compact, he provides. Outside of that, I Andre Roberts is not that player either. So they no. have one guy. That's why I'm saying I wanted them to draft somebody that in in a you know in, in, in what Rex Ryan would say about LaShawn McCoy inside of a phone booth can make guys miss but more importantly it's those guys with the low center of gravity that can stop but straight line to a certain extent like you need to be able to bend around the edge when you get there. so to your point because we didn't draft a guy like that we're essentially stuck with isaiah McCoy. i think so and i don't think they re-signed him to a two-year deal that's dang. it was a multi-year deal so and they they believe much like belichick believes in his great defensive scheme is that you may not offer us a full you know skill set but what you do is fill a particular role that we find important to our scheme and if you use that play eight times a game you don't have another player that can fill a role that we use eight times a game if i'm an offensive coordinator say i'm i'm going to the chopping block for that guy when it comes cut time because those are eight plays that we use to face dress the rest of our offense around so like that's a guy like isaiah mckenzie the, those kind of guys are the ones that Brian Dable ends up going to at the end of training camp saying, like, I don't care what you need on defense. I need Isaiah McKenzie. You need to find a roster spot for him because that's eight plays in my playbook that I'm using to set the rest of my offense up, and that's what he is. Man. I mean, Chris, is there anybody you think that might make the, the fight for this fourth and fourth or fifth position? I mean, I'm on the complete opposite of McKenzie. Like, I... Yeah, you can get a jet sweep or what? What is it? A hot potato? Where Allen? Oh yeah, sh- the the forward pass. Yeah, yeah. It's like hot. It's, to me, it's hot potato. Josh Allen just touches it for a second. Oh, it's too hot! And then Isaiah McKenzie takes around the corner for three yards until he gets hit and broken. I'm not. I'm not on that Isaiah McKenzie train. So there's. I think. Like, I, I think. So, I so think Chris, you could who get, do you like? I, I, much like your not, COVID nineteen take last week, I want our listeners to hear you delve into this. Who well, I would. Like? Well, I would ask you, why can't John Brown run a end around or a hot potato? Um, lateral he's agility. Your, he's your number two receiver. It's it's not the role. I mean, he can right, but there's a role within this offense that. It's hard to account for if you're a defensive coordinator when you have those three, right, and then Isaiah McKenzie on the field. And Isaiah McKenzie lines up in a trips formation, motions towards the quarterback, 
Well, now someone has to move away from the two guys that are over there. Someone has to move away. So if you're creating better matchups by having lateral movement in your offense, there isn't another lateral mover in this offense. That that isn't Robert Foster to me. Like he's not a guy that has the bend and the quick twitch. He he can stop and start quickly in a straight line, but he's not the guy kind of guy that in a in a situation one on one you want with the ball in your hands. That is Isaiah McKenzie. He is he is the one on one guy. That's all he can be when he's in his best. He's in one-on-one situations. So what I love about this, Chris, is you just asked a question that you would have asked me during a Sunday football game, and I would have looked at you with disgust and then just gone back to watching football because I don't have the – I don't have the – Chris says this all the time, Nate. I don't have the patience to explain the game of football to him. So Chris learns from guys like you, guys and like Turner, Turner from Cover and one. Bruce Nolan. And he, he listens to you guys. Because even though he and I spend every single Sunday together, whether it's home or away, he takes nothing away from football from me because I don't have the patience to talk to him about. <laughs> well, and now that I'm a father, I definitely yeah, yeah, don't have the patience. There's zero patience left for you, pal. I've taken all the patience I have for the rest of the universe and His poured it patience, into my wife. And I think kid. a really good interpretation of the level of patience you have for the world is how much brown to blonde ratio Chris has in his hair. I want to shave every time I come over here. Like, this like, is your patience level for everyone else. This is the patience level for your family. How about that? He's done it in himself for you. He is the. Every time I come over here, I'm like, I wonder if I could just get the scissors out of his cabinet and just like cut a piece of his hair off. Like, I wonder how. Like, I will cut your throat. Yeah, he'll, he'll, I was like, he'll watch you bleed out. I was like, is this going to start an actual physical Yeah, no, it will. Because I hate that. Do hair. you guys want to know what the results are of that? Uh, oh, hit me so with it. I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm getting dragged. I saw it was up to like 400 votes. Yeah, we're up to 435 votes. Because you're popular on social um, media. And we are still 65-35 hard. <sighs> All right, Chris, I'll take the L. I'll call it now. I have a poor opinion of who should be in the Hall of Fame. Listen, if you're going to throw a hot take around here, you better not do it against the guy who literally has created and delivered and invented the hot take, which is me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Nate is the hot take. So it's like, and that's where we're going to end tonight's show because we want to talk about hot takes. Now, here's what I have. It's like for having you. Bob Ross on your podcast and telling him how to do art. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a question because here's the thing: you've said a lot of inflammatory things, but one that's thing true. I've noticed throughout the course of the podcast is that you keep going back to this concept that you believe in both rookies. You believe in both rookies. We end every single one of these training camp preview shows with a hot take by letting our guests have a bold prediction. Here's my question: What I've said a lot today that I could bold predict. So I, Isaiah difficult. McKenzie, okay, you like him, but that's not bold. That's a guy who's been on the roster for a while. The fact that you've said both of these rookies, you think will make it. What is it about each of them that endears you to it? And why is it that you keep going back to them both being on the team? I think how do they fit? Just quickly tell me, how do they fit? So Gabe Davis is going to be, I think, the ultimate replacement for John Brown, um, a guy that can get vertical, who can catch the ball in really difficult situations. He, to me, I mean, the numbers he put up uh, at South Florida, I, I mean, he at UCF, I mean, just killer number, UCF, Central Florida. Yeah, Central Florida. Um, I think he's ultimately the kind of guy that can be the number two. And then Isaiah Hodgins, to me, is the replacement for Colt Beasley. Hodgins is what the kind of... What are you talking about? He's the big... He's I'm not the, even at the table anymore. I've walked away. What are you... I've left the podcast table. 
Because he's talking about You're waking the neighbors. Yeah, not this year. I'm not saying that this year. I'm just saying the future replacement. Ever! Wow. What? I can see that being a down the line thing because what? One was a third and the other was a seventh? Sixth. Sixth? Yeah. And you have what? Three years left of Brown and Beasley? Two. Two? on Yeah. This year and next year. Yeah. One of them has great hands and runs phenomenal routes. Yeah. One of them can't catch the ball. He his struggles legitimately. If yeah, I were no, to go he down, has, he, but uh, but draft hands hands are an issue. He made he's some a great, poor he's a poor route runner. Yes, that's right. But he made some unbelievable catches in contested traffic. Like he he showed and a lot. I mean, that's I, listen. At the end of the day, he had like whatever thirteen hundred yards of score record and and receiving yards. He's the kind of guy. Yeah, it's UCF. That, you know the the. Yeah. You know, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! But Chris, remember they were national champions. Listen, <laughs> listen, Danny White. Roll time. UB, UB, Danny White. Okay, Danny White is their AD. Respect. Put some respect on his goddamn lips. He was the UB director, uh, the UB athletic director for a while. Okay. Um, so listen. So now that I know Drew that that's Seth, how you, now that I know that that's how you feel about John. Isaiah, McC- Isaiah Hodgins is my hot is my bold take. Okay, so Isaiah Hodgins, what is it with him that you are so in love with? I mean, here's what I see. When I look at Isaiah Hodgins, I see he's got good hands, big catch radius, seems to make catches away from his body, not a, not elite athleticism, but good route running that allows for him to get a little separation and then use his length to catch the ball away from himself. He just sounds to me like Zay Jones with a bigger catch radius. Oh, no. Totally different kind of athlete. Zay Jones is like, hey, try to throw that football into these board hands, and I'll figure out a way to catch it. And then you have Isaiah Hodgins, who is a very natural catcher of the football. It always looked like Zay Jones was fighting the football. Like, when Hodgins is out there, he's out there trying to make one-handed catches. He's out there that kind of, like, he reminds me a lot of, like, if Eric Decker had better hips. Okay, I can see that. Like, he's the kind of big slot guy. If you want to say Eric Decker, because that's a guy who didn't have an ideal fit. Correct, because he was a big slot. Because he was a big... But he wasn't quick. Yeah, well, he's a big white dude who you normally would see playing tight end. But instead of bulking up, he slimmed down and tried to play the wide receiver position. Well, with Decker, the thing with him that made him really tough to defend was he was a good route runner and he did it against linebackers and slot corners who were much smaller than him. Yes. And that's where I see a guy like, and especially you saw that in systems like with Fitzpatrick in New York that year, like he really, really crushed teams from the slot that year because that was a system that utilized it with a quarterback that wanted to throw to guys deep in the slot. Like that that was their tar- That was their deep shot was that deep middle when teams are running cover two against them, they were they were thrown to that deep middle, and Eric Decker was the beneficiary of a lot of those. So you, so that's kind of emboldened you to think Isaiah Hodgins has a real chance to contribute. Yes, Not especially the, the roster, but contribute. Yeah, because they're looking, and, and 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 I think, you know, that's why I said for it's him against Duke Duke Williams because Duke him him and Duke are very similar. Except I think, I think you saw a lot of Duke Williams playing in the slot. That's where he did a majority of his work against linebackers because they weren't having him outside. You can't really have him outside running those kinds of routes. He is a slot-type guy because of his lack of top-end speed. And you could say the same about Isaiah uh, Hodgins as well. But I think he's a more fluid athlete. He's younger. Um, I just think that he's got a little bit more <clears throat> like... That looks like Wiggle. He's just got... Yeah. <laughs> that looks like, yeah. Looks like yeah. Wiggle. Yeah. Like he's just, We're doing a visual joke on radio, stiff. folks. This he's is just, amazing. Yeah. 
He's doing some kind of, like he's just got you, a little more rhythm to him. He's not stiff. Do you think is COVID going to play any issue of them making the fifty three? Because we have virtual. I th- OTs. Well, I think fifty three is going to get turned into more like sixty, sixty five. That's what I think is going to happen. First of all, okay, okay, got to make some room here. Okay, hot take coming. I've got my own bold prediction well, on I mean, this. It's Utica Club. What are you going to? What do you? Yeah, expect? it's Utica. It's chewing me up inside. <laughs> I swear to God, this is the beer. Utica Club is the beer. The beer of champions. It's a high school starter Let's beer. See, it's it's Red Dog. The, well, that's what I was going to say. This is what happens. Utica Club is actually what happens when Budweiser tanks explode and the janitors have to squeegee all the beer off the floor. Like, it collects all that dust and then they squeegee it just into another container and then they sell it to somebody else who repackages it as Utica Club. That's I, I, I'm convinced that's what's going on there. With that said, I've got a hot take. And maybe it's fueled by the Utica Club, but here we go. I don't give a f- Whoa. what people say. Robert Foster is going to be stiffer competition than anyone here is giving him credit for. Look at, the, look at the field. He has NFL experience, and he's entering his third year. That's typically the prove-it year for wide receiver development. He's proven he can handle release the line of scrimmage. The, the one year of success he had as a rookie proved that he can get off the line against NFL defensive backs. Something that these rookies, have they, they don't even know what they're looking at. And he's been a standout special teamer as a gunner. Now, here's, one, here's a nuance of college football that fans might lose sight of. When you're a player like a Gabe Davis or an Isaiah Hodgins, you're essentially viewed by your college team as a starter. And, they, and given the fact that these college teams can carry over 100 players on their game day roster, well, actually, I think it's 100 on the roster, 90 on the game day roster, those starters don't ever get to experience fulfilling those duties that it takes to make a special team squad. Truth. Yeah, that's right. Truth, son. Suck it. No one on the team does punt Gunner as well as Robert Foster. At least not out of the wide receiver group. And none of these kids have had the experience of live-action football against other professionals. There's, there's been no off-season to work with a special... Think about this. They've been having their Zoom meetings with the wide mm. receivers coaches. They've been learning the offense. Have they been meeting with special teams coaches? Have they Perhaps. I'm have, sure they... Have they run special teams drills? Because if they have, it'll be the first time they've ever done it in their careers. So with that said, Isaiah Hodgins and Gabe Davis can't be looked at to push a guy like Robert Foster off the roster because of special teams utility. I call him when Bob Foster, but I agree. When they've never had a sniff at doing the job on any level, it would be like you showing up as a junior accountant Looking oh. to be a company's controller. Wow. It's a, that's a disaster. Depends how good I can solve the CEO. So my bold prediction, Robert Foster will be on the roster. Here we go again. He will be active Never for learned. game days. And barring injury, he's going to be wide receiver number four yeah. and set a career he high in learned. receptions, which isn't hard because the over-under is 27 and a half. Haven't learned a thing. Do you want to take me on the Seagram's bet? Yes. Raise a glass, sir. I've learned. I've official. learned better. I've yes. learned better. Now, folks, for those of you listening I've at home, better. for those of you listening at home, we clearly enjoy betting wine coolers. For those of you who like a little bit more skin in the game, there's no shortage of action going on over at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. 
Sports, they're coming back. And Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer. Or is it football? Chris, I don't even know anymore. I have no idea. <laughs> all, Chris, all of that, but if you somehow need more, let's say real sports don't do it for you, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC all day long. Simulated UFC that you can bet on streaming live on their website. And if you're looking for something else other than sports, they have an online casino with hundreds of games, poker tournaments, prop bets. It's all there. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And speaking of experts, Nate Geary, you are our expert in hot takes. Why don't you tell the people where they can find you on social media and what you have coming up in the future? Nate Geary Sports on my twit. Um, up in the future, I I don't know. I don't even, I don't think the NFL players know what their future holds. So um, my future entitles, uh, hopefully sports happen. That's, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, and then what are I you guys going to talk about on sports radio if there's no sports? How, how long can you guys do best ofs and lists? We'll figure it out. Yeah, we're, we're about to, we're, we'll find top out. Top 10 because Howard. Because you're professionals. Top 10 Howard Simon dad shoes. <laughs> Sounds like a list you can do tomorrow Top morning. 10 foods Howard Simon won't eat. Yeah. Boom. That's have, a good one. And you don't have anything going on at CoverOne.net. No, not not currently. Um, I'm, I, you know, I like to take my summer hiatus. I like to golf a lot. So uh, I'm not making a ton of content now. I leave that for the professionals, and uh, I come back uh, when the iron's hot in the middle of the season, the start of the season, uh, training camp typically. It's going to be weird not being at St. John Fisher this year for the first time in like five years for me um, since getting a press pass there. Uh, it's going to be weird. Are they um, allowing the media for training camp? They are not. not well, I was going to say, the new training person. camp format was just agreed on today, and there is no in-person. Chris, you even the players feel like, wow, they're, they're really – this whole thing is segmented and boxed up. There's no room for media at training camp this year. It's going to be weird, and it's going to be exciting for fans because we're inexorably getting closer to the date where this is going to start. And hopefully, Chris, the Buffalo Bills are on the verge of doing something big. But we got to get the hell out of here. Thank you all for showing up. That's Chris Krueger. That's Nate Geary. I'm Drew Gear, and this has been the Rock Pile Report. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.